Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Dallas to speak with Isaac Harris of Locked On Mavs about the big move that landed Luka Doncic in Dallas. We'll go to Sacramento to chat with Matt George about the Kings' decision to go with Marvin Bagley III. And lastly, we head to Phoenix to speak with Brendan Clean of Locked On Suns about the draft haul the Suns acquired, including the number one pick, DeAndre Ayton. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, welcome to Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host for Locked On NBA, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at basketballmonster.com. The 2018 NBA draft is in the, is in the books. We are not far away from NBA free agency. Tons of news, tons of intriguing storylines, tons of possibilities for many teams across the NBA. We're going to talk to three of the hosts across the Locked On Podcast Network today. So let's get to it. Isaac Harris, one of the co-hosts of the Locked On Mavericks podcast, is here to talk about the action from the draft on Thursday. Isaac, I assume you, like the majority of Mavericks fans, are elated, uh, you're ecstatic, or is there another word that you can uh, use to describe the goings-on that ended up with Luka Doncic uh, looking to play his basketball for the Mavericks next season? You really can't even put it into words, to be honest. I mean, it became pretty clear heading into the draft that Luka Doncic was going to be their guy. And Donnie Nelson, Tony Ronzoni, everybody in the Mavs brass had they've scouted Luka for so long and they're so well-known with the international scene and uh, all across the globe and stuff. And Luka was their guy. And for the fan base, you know, that's rooted for Dirk for 20 years. You know, we've gotten hyped over Luka Doncic over the past year also. And, and when it became... Uh, something that it could possibly happen uh, over the course of the 24 to 48 hours before the draft. I was kind of, I was scared because the fan base, I was scared for the fans that we were already starting to almost act like it was going to happen. And everybody started getting excited. There was a buzz around the place, even heading into draft night. And the media, we had, you know, everybody was there at American Airlines Center at the arena in in Dallas, you know, waiting to talk to Donnie Nelson after they made the pick and stuff. And just among the media, I mean, it was buzzing around the room. Hey, where are they going to trade up? All this stuff. And just the course of emotions from everyone was, it was just a roller coaster ride. And, and it happened. And you, I mean, the buzz around the fan base, around everything right now, it's, you really, I mean, you don't want to oversell it, but it's the most exciting to be a Mavs fan right now since the 2011 championship. I love it for the Mavs. I love this move. I think that you know, some teams in that top area of the draft, there would have been large sections of their fan base that would have been you know, negative in the Doncic uh, drafting because of their skepticism with European players, which is completely unfounded. But we, as you said, with Dallas and their history with with Dirk, and even as you know, as, as recent as last season with the play that they saw from Maxi Kleber, who was able to come in and be a, a significant rotational piece all season, the Mavs are going to embrace Luca here. Now they did give up a first round pick 
in 2019, top five protected, top five protected in 2020, and then top three protected for two seasons after that. But the Mavericks, they're a team that... um probably underperformed their point differential last season, and they are uh, assuming that they're going to be giving up that pick next year. And uh, with moves coming up, and honestly, with the play of, of what Doncic can provide, they should be yeah, well above that uh, that bottom five, or maybe even out of the bottom 10 in the draft. Do you see it that way? Do you, do you think Doncic can have that much of an immediate impact on this team? Yeah, and that's what, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Is I was just talking to someone a few days ago, and they said, you know, you're pretty much getting a veteran. And yep. Doncic has been a pro since he was 15 years old. And, I mean, his resume in Europe, people always list it off. But over the past couple of seasons, he's won everything against the second-best league in the whole world, against grown men. And he is, you know, he's heading into the NBA as a, quote, rookie. But really, he's been playing for three or four years on a professional level. We, talk, we had Salah Mejri. Uh, from Tunisia on the Mavericks last year, and he played a year with Luca, and back uh, when Luca was super young, and just the fact that Salah is almost thirty years old, and he's t- talking to myself and another reporter about how good Luca Doncic was at fifteen years old, at sixteen years old, and now he comes to the NBA as a quote rookie, and he's going to be able to step in on day one. I mean, he's going to have to you know time to adjust and. The athleticism, the quicker pace, just everything with that. But he's not going to be your normal rookie. And because of that and because of the trade, Dallas has made it very clear that we want to win. The rebuild, this ain't a rebuild anymore. Like, we, we want to win. And you're going to see that reflect with some of these upcoming summer moves. Um, now you talk about him jumping straight into the, the rotation as a as a veteran piece, almost at the age of nineteen. And I, I know you're aware of this, Isaac, but not all listeners will be aware. Is that Doncic, while he's you know, billed by some as a point guard and he's a ball handler, uh, but Rick Carlisle said that you know, he's going to try and play him at the four at times. And Doncic was able to succeed and played a lot in his time in Europe alongside other point guards. So the fit with Dennis Smith, to me, is absolutely zero concern. Smith had a, a monster usage last season. Maybe that reduced and helps his efficiency and having a secondary ball handler there which the Mavericks yeah, tried at times and Carlisle's been a huge pro- proponent of playing dual point guards of having you know those JJ Barea Devin Harris combinations and even starting you know, Yogi Ferrell alongside Smith and Barea at times it's going to fit perfectly and it's going to actually help Dennis Smith's development rather it, it was there's a very small minority of people saying oh have they given up on Smith already because that's not how Doncic works in a in a modern uh, NBA or any sort of offense really yeah, and that's what you mentioned, him playing with J.J. Barea last year with Dennis Smith Jr. And, you know, Rick Carlisle started implementing that about halfway through the season and on for the last stretch of the season. And a lot of people, that was kind of a, a conversation around the arena, uh, is is this kind of a nod or kind of a trial to see how Dennis can play off the ball? And it is kind of a worry, and that is understandable of, like, hey, a guy like Dennis Smith Jr. that has always ran the point, has always had the ball, and at all times, you know, how can he play off the ball to somebody like Luka Doncic? But but now it, I think it speaks more to uh, Luka and his ability to, you know, playing off somebody like a Sergio Lowell over in you know, Spain and stuff and just his resume of playing with somebody off the ball with Goran Dragic, stuff like that, to where he's going to come in, and especially in Rick Carlisle's offense, with these multiple playmakers, with these multiple guys that he loves throwing multiple point guards on the uh, on the floor and stuff, and you know you, we're not drawing these comparisons at all. But when you look how Kyrie Irving and LeBron James played off each other 
in Cleveland as far as having like a, a bigger six eight type of playmaker and then having your point guard too. I think you're going to see a similar type of offensive um, system kind of built around uh, what they ran in Cleveland. Yeah, I can totally see that being the case. Now, we talk a lot about Doncic, and of course, he's the big star, but the Mavs also had three second-round picks. Isaac, they they selected Jalen Brunson at the start of the second round, and then they traded back from Selection 54 to get two picks off the Sixers. And uh, and with those picks, they selected uh, uh, Ray Spalding, and then with the last pick in the draft, Costas Atatokounmpo. I would assume that Brunson, as we mentioned, getting these multiple point guards in, yeah, he's going to be that player that maybe they're you're telegraphing him to be that J.J. Barea replacement at some point, just extra guards, extra ball handlers. Um, so he, I imagine, will make the roster. Um, Sporting, I'm not sure about, but the Atatokounmpo pick's an interesting one. I've heard some people positing that perhaps it's uh, you know, drafting him as a play to maybe make the team more appealing to Giannis when the time comes that he may be looking at free agency. Do you see it that way? Do you see any hope for, for Costas making the team or is he going to be a, a, a G League guy you know, for probably the exclusivity of his career? Yeah, so in all three of them, real quick, you know, with Costas, like, he, I love the value pick. You know, we, we had a pick at 54, like you said, we traded for two more. And it's like, hey, let's let's try to you know, take swings at some upside athletic bigs and see if we can develop them. And, you know, Donnie Nelson said right after the draft, Costas, he's going to be a, a G League developmental type player, and uh, which is awesome. You know, Texas Legends and Frisco, they work so c- close with the Dallas Mavericks and have an awesome relationship and it's actually a huge benefit because they're right down the road they're like 20 minutes down the road so that's pretty cool and race balding's a little different um I, I just spoke to race balding a few days ago i was texting his brother today and I, i'm a believer in this guy i think he was one of the sleepers of the draft and just a 610 athletic uh big at louisville kind of came on late and he's really been working on a shot there was his camp was sending me uh videos of him of his three point of his new year kind of three point shot today and so i'm a kind of a believer in him he's going to go into training camp and, and battle with that and hopefully try to make a roster spot but he'll probably be in the g league but i was talking to donnie nelson the other day uh, from a story I was doing pre-draft and i was asking him the balance of picking a player uh, on draft night for system fit uh, compared to best player available and he said i was raised best player available and then you build your system off of your best player's talents. And you saw that with the Brunson pick because you can look at a roster and say, we drafted Dennis Smith Jr. last year at ninth overall. He's our rookie point guard. We still have J.J. Barea. Yogi Ferrell's um, you know, free, a restricted free agent. We have some other guards. Seth Curry's at free agent. Why would they draft a point guard? And it just boils down to best player available. They admitted on draft night and say, we, we had him 20-something on our board. And the fact that he was there at 33, we could not pass him up. And they, Rick Carlisle said, we can never have enough playmakers on the court. So, yeah, you mentioned it with the J.J. Barea replacement. He's going to come in and learn directly from J.J. Barea how to run those pick and rolls, everything in the system. I expect him fully to be on the roster. I don't think he's going to be a G League guy at all. I think it could speak to their free agent plans with a Seth Curry or Yogi Ferrell. So, yeah, I expect him to be on the roster for sure. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting to see how uh, how Brunson and how all these other guys, of course, along with Doncic, works out. If you want to hear more about the Luka Doncic selection, how it's going to fit in, Locked On Mavs is going to have you covered all throughout the offseason. Isaac, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA and talking about what perhaps was the uh, the best draft in the NBA on Thursday for the Dallas Mavericks. I appreciate it, Josh. Thank you.
Now we bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Kings podcast, and that is Matt George. The Sacramento Kings had the number two pick in the draft. And Matt, I'm going to be honest, I didn't love the selection that they made at pick number two. I also wasn't a massive fan of the reasoning that uh, that Vladi Divac had after the draft. First of all, how did you feel about the selection of Marvin Bagley III at the number two pick for the Kings? It seemed to be telegraphed for a little bit of time, but uh, were you overall happy with the selection? Well, I'll tell you this, uh, you could fit in right uh, right away with the majority of Sacramento Kings fans, or at least the vocal majority of Sacramento Kings fans on social media who are right there with you, both with Blade's reasoning uh, and with the selection overall. Me personally, uh, I have been branded an optimist in Sacramento, and I'm actually quite proud of that title. Not a blind optimist, but an optimist to be sure. Uh, Marvin Bagley was not my first choice. I would have taken Luka Doncic. I believe his, uh, his resume, his pedigree and his success over in Europe is more than enough to warrant uh, a top two selection. That being said, I was not low on Bagley by any means. And I can understand Vlade's justification along with my own justification, uh, for why the Kings would take Bagley. Marvin Bagley is considered to be one of the top offensive prospects, if not the most NBA ready scorer. Uh, in this draft, at least in the, uh, at least in the lottery or uh, who is expected to be available with the top few picks. The Sacramento Kings were last in the league in scoring last year. So clearly plugging that scoring hole, uh, was a definite concern and something that Vlade and the Kings were willing to address. Marvin Bagley seemingly uh, appears to be a, a freakish athlete. Uh, and the biggest knock against his game was defensive. And to be completely honest with you, in a NBA, the way the NBA is played today, when the league is so based off of scoring, yes, defense is important, and I'm not ever going to diminish the importance of defense. That being said, when you are in a offensive league and you have the worst offense in the league, filling that hole to me is 10 times more important than any concerns defensively for Marvin Bagley. So for me, it was a good, exciting pick. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to see him play. I think he can be a good fit with this, uh, this Kings young regime and core, uh, going forward. And I'm not nearly as doom and gloom as so many might, uh, appear to be with the Kings not taking Doncic. When I say that I'm, I'm not necessarily happy or, or you know, don't. I'm not fully positive with, with the Kings pick. It's not that I think the Bagley's a bad player. I think he can be a very good player. I have my concerns about uh, the lack of length that he has, his rim protection, his defensive stuff. Even his uh, even his shooting could be a concern. But I've heard some criticisms of people saying, oh, why would you take him when we've got other big men? Like, I, I don't think you should be basing any of your draft decisions on the presence of Scalabissier or Willie Cauley-Stein for as solid as they can be. They're not foundational type pieces. And, and you know, if you really believe in Bagley, then that's the, the move that you go. And I assume a lot of Kings fans you know, do have that common sense uh, approach saying, well, you know, yes. we're not drafting, you know, oh, I'm, not, I'm not happy with the pick because we've got Cooley's time. But the curious thing to me was uh, was the reasoning of, of Divac. And as you said, a lot of Kings fans are, are quite uh, disappointed with some of that uh, reasoning. And if, for those of you who don't know what the what the what what we're talking about here is, is if Vladi said he didn't want to go with Luka Doncic for a couple of reasons, he said that Bagley was a better prospect and better player, which I guess is debatable. That's in the eye of the beholder. But he also said, we don't want to select Luka Doncic because uh, we don't want to take the ball out of De'Aaron Fox's hands. That was the report that was coming out, which to me, given the current state of the NBA, is absolute nonsense. Doncic plays extremely well with another ball handler. Uh, multiple ball handlers is the way that you get success in the NBA. So was that the thing that people had the most issue with the reporting coming out of Sacramento on the uh, rationale behind the pick? I would say so. Um, my address to that, or the, the way I would counter any concerns with that, uh, is this. Luka Doncic 
is a extremely talented prospect. I already talked about his resume, what he brings to the table. And like I said, I would if I was in Vlade's shoes, I would have taken him just because I believe he was the best best player available at that position. A lot of Kings fans had issue with they feel that the Kings front office made a decision based off of biggest uh, need instead of best player available. When you're a team like the Kings that doesn't have an established star and you're picking number two overall, it seems clear that going best player available uh, is the right decision. And Luka Doncic also helped fill a biggest need because the Sacramento Kings have been desperately looking for someone to fill that small forward spot. Of course, you could debate whether Luka is a true three or whether he's going to be playing the two. Well, uh, uh, Carlo said Mavericks seem to think he's He's going to play the four. He's going to be playing the four, seemingly, <laughs> right? Uh, so, I mean, that's all a matter of opinion. I'm not going to diminish Rick Carlisle for saying that, uh, vice versa, no matter what. But uh, what I can say is this. When De'Aaron Fox was selected last year with the number five overall pick, he was universally touted, not just by Sacramento Kings fans, but by the Kings front office as the guy that they were going to build around and the guy that they were going to uh, want to continue with as their as the centerpiece of that core. Uh, he didn't have the greatest of rookie seasons, but he showed enough, especially down the stretch in crunch time, uh, to still be worthy of that consideration. Marvin Bagley fit a need alongside Fox more than Luka Doncic may have. We'll never know, but obviously that was Vlade's opinion. And clearly, and this is what I want to stress, that the difference in skill set between Luka and between Bagley are not that drastic. What I mean by that is nobody was saying that Luka Doncic was by far unanimously the better player than Bagley was. People certainly had opinions, uh, but obviously there wasn't enough discrepancy there for Vlade to make the obvious choice of, yes, Bagley may fit alongside De'Aaron better, but we're going with Luka because he's the better player. That discrepancy was not big enough, so Vlade ultimately went with the top-scoring prospect who also seemingly could fit well into a De'Aaron Fox offense, which we in Sacramento are hoping will be fast-paced, uh, very athletic, and a lot of pick-and-roll. Um, now, yeah, not to be completely negative, on the positive side, the Darren Fox-Marvin Bagley pick-and-roll combination has the potential to be one of the most uh, athletic and fastest uh, combinations in the NBA. Bagley is an extremely athletic jump, a big second jump, offensive rebound, put-back, pick-and-roll, alley-oop sort of guy. We know how fast Fox is. So that's a huge positive in that regard. Again, no problem with Bagley as the pick to me. My, my issue is you know, passing on, on Doncic, but you know, I completely understand going in, in that direction and, and selecting that. And that combination, if it works out and the defensive dis- the issues that Bagley can have, you know, playing, uh, in the front court can be sorted out, then it, it could work out, you know, really, really, uh, really, really strongly, which, you know, is a massive positive for the Kings fans. Now, other people want to know, and you hear this, and I tweeted it out personally as well, is, uh, is Dave Yeager going to play him? Cause he does have a, um, he does have an issue sometimes with uh, with playing guys ahead of uh, people that he's uh, trusted for a long time, such as Zach Randolph and uh, and Costa Kufos, who got a ton of minutes there, even at the expense of Lebissier and Cauley Stein last season. A phenomenal question. I will say this: uh, a lot of people are at least a, a vocal. I don't know if they're the majority or minority. They seem like more of the minority on on Twitter and on social media and and on Reddit. Uh, a lot of people are being very um, hostile or calling for the Kings to move on with their front office from Vlade as a general manager. I am more behind Vlade as of right now than I am behind Dave Yeager. And what I mean by that is that Dave Yeager, to me, uh, has been very stubborn in his 
philosophy. Agreed. Now, Dave Yeager knows more about basketball than I ever will. He also came through the G League developing players, so he knows how to develop young players better than, I think, anyone that will insult him or will be critical of him in Sacramento. That is my opinion. However, when you have a young core that you're trying to put together and develop, not just individually, but develop as a group that you want to depend or you want to potentially depend on in the playoffs two, three years from now, you need to build a system, in my opinion, build a system that emphasizes their strengths. And quite honestly, we saw none of that last season from Dave Yeager. You have the, one of the fastest point guards in the league. You have an athletic center in Willie Cauley-Stein. Now you add Marvin Bagley to the mix. You also have a, a stop-and-pop catch-and-shoot shooter in the modern NBA uh, in Buddy Heald. And you didn't emphasize three-point shooting, nor did you emphasize fast-break offense and pushing the floor. I will say this. If by training camp and by the start of next season, the Kings are continuing to use Zach Randolph in the high post as their go-to offensively, they're continuing to be in the bottom half of the league in pace, Dave Yeager will not have a job very much longer. That is my opinion. I 100% agree with you uh, on all that Jaeger stuff. It was frustrating last season. We saw minutes go to the young players, but it's not just about giving the minutes at certain times. It's about developing that system, and I'm 100% in agreement with what you said there. That is Matt George of the Locked On Kings podcast. You can go and check out Locked On Kings for all their uh, discussion on Bagley, on the draft choices, on Vladi, on Jaeger, and on uh, the decision to uh, to trade out their second round pick, which was Gary Trent Jr. to the Portland Trailblazers. Matt, thanks for coming on Locked On NBA and discussing the Bagley selection and and uh, good luck for the Kings for the coming season. Yeah, we're going to need it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Let's now welcome in one of the hosts of the Locked On Suns podcast, and that is Brendan Clean. The Suns uh, had an interesting draft coming out of it with four four players and a, uh, a trade in the middle of the first round, which had many people talking. Of course, they selected DeAndre Ayton as the number one overall pick. Brendan, overall, as someone who covers the Phoenix Suns, are you happy, ecstatic, ambivalent, disappointed? How do you feel about this draft? I think you have to be excited. I mean, the first pick probably wasn't too much of a surprise. I think the whole NBA world basically knew what was coming there. But although the Suns had talked, Ryan, General Manager Ryan McDonough had talked about a hesitancy to take four or even three rookies heading out of this draft. That's exactly what they did. And... The guys that they got, I, I'm pretty pleased with, especially to, uh, the, the second rounder. The, the top of the second round was really great value with the player they ended up with, Elio Kobo. And then, like you mentioned, that trade was surprising, but I, I'm pretty happy with how that turned out, too. And I think the team is as well. We'll talk Aiden in a second, but yeah, Elia Kobo, I thought that he had a chance. I thought he had top 20 potential uh, you know, value or, or, or talent, and to get him at pick 31 is fantastic. The news has just come out today that the Suns have signed him to a four-year deal with the last two years of that being uh, non-guaranteed. So they're treating him basically like a, a first-round player in terms of that contract that they're giving him. This Phoenix Suns situation, uh, we heard today, Brendan, that they're not going to be tendering an offer to Alfred Payton. So that point guard position is wide open, and, and it, it appears is to me that Okobo, he's going to be here straight away, obviously, this season, but he's going to be in the rotation almost from day one. Yeah, I think that really the Suns were probably surprised based on the, the tone and just, like I said, they weren't entering the draft really genuinely don't believe that they were planning on, you know, they had options, maybe stashing a player or we saw them trade a pick, but they still ended up taking a player. I really don't think that they were planning on having four rookies, so... 
I think it was the fact that El Okobo uh, fell to 31. They had him in for a workout. He's, he said, and uh, the assistant general manager, Pat Connolly, said that day at the workout that all signs were pointing toward him playing here next year. I think that they liked that. They wanted a, a guy that was going to be able to come in. They didn't have a point guard, so they are able to give him those minutes. And it, like you said, they locked him up. They, he was the first second rounder to sign a deal. They got rid of Peyton's qualifying offer immediately. So, yeah, I think that they're really excited. I think that's one of the reasons that they were the team to pick him. I think a lot of the teams late in the first probably didn't want him to come over right away. So they're going to give him the opportunity, and we'll see how that goes, I guess. Well, let's talk about that trade now. It appeared like at pick number 16, the Suns were were ready to take Dante DiVincenzo, but then uh, they reversed track on that, and they made that selection of Zaire Smith, who they then traded to the Philadelphia 76ers in exchange for McCall Bridges. But in the process, they also gave up the 2021 unprotected Miami Heat first-round pick that they got as a part of the Goran Dragic trade. Um, now, that draft pick, I think the key portion of that, look, in Miami might be good, they might be average, we know that they're not a big rebuilding team, but that draft pick, Brendan, is looking like it's going to be the first draft where high school players are able to be taken. So, in terms of the upper end of the draft, there's the potential that you're going to get all the freshmen from the 2020 college season, plus all the high schoolers from 2021, making it almost like a, a, a super draft in terms of the elite type of talent that's going to be available, which to me makes it somewhat of a questionable trade, especially if you don't necessarily see a large difference between Smith and Bridges. Now, from your perspective and from the Suns' perspective, do you like what Bridges can do as a floor-spacing defensive wing player? Or is that price of giving up that pick a few years in advance where we don't actually know what's going to be in a potentially loaded draft too much to a bear? Well, I would say both are probably hugely important factors. I think it was maybe the, I think their own pick next year probably slots in, in my opinion, as their best asset. But this was probably up there right behind that as uh, their top trade chip with that 2021 pick. And Hearing McDonough talk about it after the fact, I really do think that the front office agonized about it in their war room. They, you know, he said that they considered the fact that the heater in the East played a big role in their eventual decision to trade the pick. The fact that, you know, Pat Riley is known for never, ever fielding an awful team. That just doesn't really happen. And then the last time was when they picked Dwayne Wade, but almost two decades ago. So he mentioned all those things, which kind of surprised me to hear him be so bald about it. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the trade fit both teams' priorities because the Suns walked away with a player, like you mentioned, who has a pretty perfect fit and probably will contribute right away next year. But also, you know, they, they were in a position where the, the assets, you know, you can, you can sit on them, but I think they felt like they were in a position to cash in and do something with it. They've talked all summer about being aggressive. I think this was, uh, the opportunity they felt was best to do that. And so, you know, they get a guy who's going to help them and they give up a, a pretty valuable pick to do it. But I think, you know, they feel pretty happy about what they were able to do. I, I you know, it's going to be one we debate for years because there is so much writing on it. But, you know, at face value at this point, I think you can at least make sense of it. 
I can see the Suns, given the moves today with, with Alfred Payton and, and this drafting of Bridges, I can see the Suns running some lineups with you know, Booker at point guard and then a TJ Warren, Josh Jackson, McCall Bridges, uh, two, three, four alongside DeAndre Aiden. I can see them going in that direction a little bit more with Kokoshkov now in as coach and, you know, run, uh, run things slowly with, with Brandon Knight and Ali Kobo there at point guard. So that gives them extra wing flexibility and we know how important wing defenders that can knock down threes and play good defense are. And that's exactly what Bridges brings. He doesn't have necessarily the same star upside as what Zaire Smith did, but it was something that the Suns did, and we'll see how that pans out in the next three years. Now, DeAndre Ayton, we know there are concerns about his defense, but this isn't a Suns team who's contending for the playoffs. They're going to want to you know, develop him alongside Jackson, alongside Booker, and see where that defense can come. He's going to be slotted in immediately as the starting center. Brendan, do you uh, do you think that there is going to be, in terms of fit with the existing players, how does that look with, uh, with DeAndre now in, in Phoenix? And I, I think when you have a team as bad as the Suns have been the past two seasons, it's tough to really say that there was anything, that there, it will be anything standing in his way of really taking over the, the team. If, you know, I guess to put it one way, like as good as he's going to get, this team will allow him to be, you know, so Devin Booker, very solid scorer. We don't know what his real ceiling is, especially what he'll be as a passer and a defensive player. So, you know, this really could be a team that we're looking at as, you know, quote, DeAndre Ayton's team in a couple of years if, if he really reaches his ceiling. Uh, like you mentioned, big, big concerns with his defense, um, as, as well as obviously when somebody has so much offensive potential, it's still crazy to expect them to get there. So that's you're talking about the very best players in the league that he has the potential to join, but it's no given that he'll reach that potential. So he has a, his work cut out for him, but I think he also has as much uh, control of this team as he wants. And they needed a center. They needed scoring. They needed floor spacing, which I think he'll be a better option for than any of the centers that they had on their roster. So uh, I, I, you obviously can understand it from the Suns' point of view. It's not even necessarily a safe pick with how much skill he had, but it, it just made so much sense from the start. And I think, uh, I think we're going to see how well he he fills that hole. He'll play in summer league and most of this roster will join him. So I guess we'll get a look at it as soon as July. Yep, Suns fans should be excited to bring in three rookies who are going to be you know, part of the rotation pretty much immediately in Bridges, Okobo, and of course, Aiton. I don't expect George King to necessarily make the roster, let alone be part of the of the rotation, but three... Yeah, he'll be a two-way guy. Yep, basically like what Alec Peters was uh, last season, just straight into that exactly. and play for, play for Northern Arizona. So, uh, you know, really exciting times for the Suns. I was a little... I was quite critical of their decision to, to pass on Doncic, but Aiton is absolutely fine as a number one pick. I was critical of their decision to give up that first rounder, but it, it doesn't matter. Like, we'll, it's happened now, and there's still chance this can easily work out as a massive positive for Suns fans. And if I was a Suns fan, I'd be really optimistic about all the players they're brought in. I'm sure you are, Brandon. And and we can hear all of this on Locked On Suns as you and Evan go through all of the uh, machinations of the draft and upcoming free agency, which I think the Suns might be a bit of a sneaky player in, Brendan. So thank you for jumping on Locked On NBA and discussing a big night for Phoenix basketball. Yeah, thank you for having me. I hope more people watch the Suns next year, but, you know, they got to earn that. They should be a fun young team. Absolutely, they will be. So that wraps up another episode of Locked On NBA. 
great takes from the guys covering the Suns, the Mavericks, and the Kings about their very high draft picks and what it means for their teams in the future. My name, again, is Josh Lloyd. Go and follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. And if you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, go leave a five-star rating and a review. It's a great way of supporting the podcast. Share it with your friends as well on social media and check us out on Twitter at LockedOnNBANet and on Facebook, the same at LockedOnNBANet. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.